My name is Hein Johansen and this is The Wine World. Welcome so much to uh, Oleg Bondonio. You're making wine in uh, Piemonte. Would you tell us a little bit about how you do that? Boy, it's a <laughs> it's a long story actually. I mean, I'm um, I born in uh, I born in Torino, which is the the big city in uh, in Piemonte, and uh, so I born as a city boy. My mom was uh, Polish, and my father is from uh, from Alba, which is the capital of of Lang, of course. And uh, my father born in Barbaresco actually. So we have this uh, farmhouse called uh, La Berchialla that was in my heart and in my life since the beginning because uh, even if I grew up in Torino, we used to spend uh, all the weekend, all the summer, each uh, public holiday, school holiday in La Berchialla, so in countryside. I grew up as a city boy, but always dreamed to be a countryside uh, boy rather than. And then um, everything started uh, slowly. When I was a boy, I, I dreamed to drive a tractor one day, to become a tractor driver somehow. And uh, I was uh, fascinated about this um, countryside world. So I was not the best student on earth when I was in uh, in Torino, actually. But uh, I I did some agricultural studies, not in Alba, but in um, in Torino. It was an agricultural high school, six years. was already specialized somehow in viticulture, more than uh, winemaking. After that, I started to be interested in wine uh, much more seriously. And I did a sort of uh, university degree in Alba, uh, in viticulture and uh, enologist. After that, I did also a sort of specialization in uh, enology at the uh, University of uh, Torino, focus on uh, winemaking. During those years, I was uh, traveling, traveling a little bit, so I was not uh, always permanent uh, at university. I was uh, going up and down, uh, back and forward from uh, Australia to Italy, France, Oregon, New Zealand, in order to make uh, at least two vintages every year for uh, for a couple of years. Have you taken some of the things you learned, especially I think in in Australia and back to Europe and to Italy again? Of course, that kind of experience, uh, first of all, we're talking about uh, 20 years ago, even more, because I was in Australia the first time in 1998, and I can tell you that uh, it was not so evident and not so easy to go on the other side of the world and start working without the internet, without um, all that we have today. Uh, so it was really not that easy, even uh, my English was not uh, so good, but was just good enough to, to work. So the first time was more like uh, I carry with me some um, life experience, you know, more than uh, technical viticulture or technical uh, winemaking uh, skills. I really grow up as a person, most of all. But uh, of course, you always um, absorb uh, from uh, different cultures, different um, point of view. Of course, the way that uh, Australian people approach wine is very different to the Piedmontese way. And then I think uh, now everything is uh, blended in in me. Each time you do something in the cellar, each time you make a decision, there's uh, a bit of everything that uh, different things that you saw around the world. Your grandfather planted quite a lot of the plants you're using today, and he didn't only plant Nebbiolo, but he also planted some Palaverga and uh, some Grignolino as well. Yes, yes, yes. Salaberchialla. When my grandfather was alive. Uh, 
it was not only a mono varietal uh, farm but it was a we had a little forest we had some hazelnuts nebbiolo of course because my grandfather was um, a grower for the produttori del barbaresco the big cooperative in barbaresco but he also dreamed for a little bit for a few years to to start to make a little wine production and so he had this uh, particular vineyard in uh, his heart uh, where he decided to plant uh, the not only nebbiolo but uh, some other varieties uh, in order to start um, again a little bit of uh, winemaking project so he planted some dolcetto some pelaverga some chardonnay and some uh, grignolino beside uh, the nebbiolo which was the main uh, variety when my grandfather passed away my father and my two uncles my aunt and my uncle we they, they split the property and uh, i was very interested in uh, especially one side of the the property of the laberchiala which is the side that faced uh, south southwest most of all because it looks all the alps and the alba region and this is where my grandfather used to plant these uh, other varieties uh, beside the the nebbiolo the first years i used to make the wine out of uh, chardonnay grignolino pelaverga and dolcetto and nebbiolo and then, um, I mean, everything became from uh, be a sort of, um, not hobby, not it was not a game, because my plan was to make wine seriously, but uh, I decided to focus, of course, uh, most of all in the Nebbiolo, even because the site is not that big, we're talking about two hectares. And so eight years ago, with Alessandra, my wife, we decided to replant uh, the main part of it. And so we decided to taking out the Chardonnay and the Dolcetto which was a good season uh, to me. And sadly, we also take out the Grignolino. Sadly, because I love Grignolino. I think it's a great wine, but it was not in the in the good position for the Grignolino. And the plants were very sick. So the production was really almost zero. It was a pity to have a, a non-productive grape in a, such a good spot for the Nebbiolo. So nowadays, uh, La Berchialla, my farm is like uh, 1.6 hectares of uh, Nebbiolo and uh, 3,000 meters of uh, Pelaverga that was planted in uh, 82. The oldest uh, Nebbiolo wines are planted in uh, 1958 and the younger part is uh, 8 years old. The Pelaverga, would you tell us a little bit about that? I think a lot of people hasn't tasted the Pelaverga before. Pelaverga, I'm not the, the most qualified person to talk about Pelaverga because uh, actually my Pelaverga is a, is a Langerosso. It's called Langerosso Giulietta because it's our first daughter, Giulietta. Pelaverga is an amazing grape. It's, a, it's from Verduno, actually, Verduno Village, where it became Verduno D.O.C. Pelaverga. I'm uh, one of the few people that has the Pelaverga piccolo grapes, not in Verduno area, but outside. This is why it's a Langerosso. The grape itself is uh, quite challenging uh, in the vineyard because it's, um, it's a very vigorous plant, uh, very different to all the other varieties. We're talking about, uh, again, very vigorous, big leaves, uh, and uh, the amazing part of the Pelaverga is that uh, you can feel the wine in the grapes because all these kind of uh, spicy notes that then you have in the wine, they are present in the, uh, in the skin of the grape. So it's quite interesting in uh, like the end of August, uh, walking through the vineyards with the people and say, oh, look at the wine. No, where's the wine? Eat a berry and you really feel the taste of the, the, Pelaverga, the Pelaverga wine. The story was a bit uh, strange because my grandfather bought the plants in uh, 85 again from Verduno. And then by chance I, I marry a girl that is from Verduno actually. And by chance uh, her mom, Lisetta Brulotto, 
is the lady that uh, with a few other people they make the first uh, experimental vineyard in Verduno they went to all the bureaucratical uh, procedure in order to have the recognition of the Verduno DOC Pella Verga and so there's no way that I take out this plant <laughs> otherwise I would be kicked out of the family nowadays uh, and we plant uh, some more Pella Verga in another vineyard that we have in uh, Alta Villa which is the hill just above uh, that surround uh, all the shoulder of, uh, of Alba. So now we make the Langerosso Giulietta in two spots, La Berchialla and a little bit in Alta Villa. Would you say that the area of Barbaresco is changing now? I know a lot of the wine areas of the world are seeing more and more extreme weather, more and more hot weather or more hail. Yeah, well, I mean, I think uh, everybody knows that something is uh, changing uh, I am not catastrophic in uh, in that kind of uh, uh, that way, but of course, when you are outside every day, uh, like when you're a farmer, you can really see how is changing the the weather. Most of all, we are approaching like uh, a extreme situation. Like it can be the the hottest week of uh, July, and ten days after can be the coolest days that uh, we ever recorded in the, in the same area. You know, it's going really up and down. 2019 will be record, uh, reminded as uh, one of these extreme weather because we had a very, very cold beginning of the season, super high, we're talking about 40, 42 degrees Celsius for 10, 15 days in a row in July, lots of rain, uh, end of July, beginning of August. Some people were heated by hail just a few days that vintage start in, uh, in, in Grinzane, in, uh, in Diano area where they make amazing dolcetto. And so, of course, we are, uh, the weather is changing. As a farmer, as a biological farmer, it's a little bit more challenging to, to, to deal with that because, um, when, uh, when you're not allowed, uh, when you don't want to use, um, chemical products, but when you only use, uh, copper and sulfur and some uh, algas rather than some other um, natural uh, products uh, it's very 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 hard to arrive at the end of the season with the good grapes because making wine uh, i always say it's not uh, that difficult you know but when you have the good grapes the winemaker has a good uh, easy life in the cellar making uh, Farming is, it can be very tricky. Most of all in La Berchialla because, uh, keep in mind that uh, Barbaresco Langa is uh, northwest of Italy. So we are in a cold area, quite humid. Uh, we have a big river, which is called Tanaro. In my case, in, from La Berchialla is like uh, 500 meters far. So we have lots of humidity in nighttime. And, uh, those are the perfect condition for disease to develop. So if you don't spray, if you don't fight the disease, uh, I mean, everything gets, uh, can get very bad so you need to be very focused and keep your eyes open during the season in order to make the the lower intervent that you can with the lightest product that you can but uh, this is very important to have the good grapes at the end of the season i've seen for a lot of piemonte producers the alcohol levels are going up so you can see maybe especially barolos but also some babrescos with maybe 15 16 percent of alcohol maybe up to 17 percent of alcohol for the most extreme cases what do you think that does with the style of the wines coming from barolo and babresco well i think that in a wine you always have to find the good balance so for me 15 15.5 is a little bit a limit talking about the nebbiolo because if we talk about barbera d'alba or barbera dusty they probably can um, can carry that high alcohol content because they are so acid and extremely fruity with a big shoulder so the alcohol is is a good deal with the barbera 
with an abiolo for me it will be a little bit uh, too much what i look in the wines the one that i like to drink and also the one that i like to make is a uh, drinkability so for me everything's changed a little bit so going back to the about the weather when it's very hot you have a lot of sugar and you have of course a lot of alcohol afterwards so we're not talking about anymore at least in my case about uh, green harvest so we just uh, try to have the good balancing between the the grapes that we have uh, on the plants i still remember like 20 15 years ago people taking out all all the leaves out of the grapes dropping down grapes on the soil in august because you want high alcohol you want to make a big wines nowadays probably we should go back to lower alcohol content in the wines try to keep the acidity which is very important in the wine making and uh, again but this is very tricky talk about that because uh, every region even in langa is very different and this is the the keyword of uh, the good wine making every farmer knows uh, better than anyone else his vineyard and even in a little region like barbaresco you can very 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 different kind of uh, microclimb because the hill can be but the exposure the altitude if you are close or not to the tanaro river there are some wind currents that change uh, on every hillside so we cannot talking about general terms this is up to the to the farmer understand uh, your own vineyard your own terroir and interact with it uh, every year in a different way and when you make wine what is the ideal uh, wine coming out of the Oleg Pondonio cellars i don't know you know for me making wine is uh, when the vintage start is more like uh, I'm happy because the vintage is over, the, the season is over, sorry. You you just finished three, four months of very intense work in the vineyard where all your efforts are into the grapes every day. You try to do your best. And uh, if you see that you're picking good grapes, the mood is very high. And uh, making the wine at this point is pretty easy. You just need to understand. Uh, it's a sort of interpretation of uh, the ingredient that you have, which is the grape. I like to describe myself, if you want, a sort of as a, as a chef, which is quite unfashion nowadays to be a chef. But uh, most of the winemaker works with the grape and something else. I work with the grapes and a little bit of sulfites. This is all the ingredients that I use. I think the wine needs to go alone. You know, each tank is different because even in the same vineyard, you, you make different wines. So my goal is to put under the spotlight uh, the characteristic, the single topic of the specific parcel. It's my goal because it's um, otherwise making wine can be also a little bit boring if you work in a standard way. Like um, I do two pump overs every day. I bring the wine to 28 degrees. The fifth day of fermentation, I make a delestage. No, this is can be we never work with a receipt we just see how the fermentation goes and we try to follow it i say we because i also i always ask my my wife alessandra which has a different kind of perspective she's much more sensitive in some uh, skills uh, compared to me we have people that helps from uh, all over the world normally so we, we work as a team you know everybody says uh, his own tough that day and we say okay let's do this let's do that let's wait let's do so working without uh, a schedule is the is the best to me because you live you really let the the grape express and most of all what is very important is that every vintage is different a cool vintage is different than a hot one and uh, so the work in the cellar is uh, different uh, according to the kind of grapes that you have in general terms uh, i like to have uh, with an abiola most of all long skin contact because i like to to taste and see how the wine de develop every day so the nebbiolo normally stays for about uh, 45 50 60 days on the skins and this is amazing because you really 
really see how the wine change. As I saw when I was uh, little, this technique of uh, keep the skins into the, uh, like it's called submerged cap. No, so we use some wood bars to keep the skins into the into the liquid in the concrete tanks it's something that I, I love to do I also love to drink some Barbaresco that maybe are made with uh, 8 days of skin contacts so like very short skin contact uh, doesn't matter each winemaker knows uh, bet, better than anyone else uh, his own grapes and so I'm totally open to any kind of interpretation Talking about vintages how was the 2019 vintage? 2019 was uh, quite tricky. Again, it was uh, extremely cold, extremely hot, uh, rain, uh, hail some, somehow. I think I was very happy at the end of August because we could see many, many grapes, like the, the plants were finally with uh, a good amount of grapes. And then when we start to pick it, when we start to crush and we start to, to see the level in the tank was uh, low. <laughs> so we realized that uh, maybe it was a uh, good phenolic ripening, but we probably had like 20, 30% of uh, wine less at the end of the line compared to 2018 who knows why maybe because these uh, very extremely dry days in july the plants were not able to to absorb enough water into the into the berries the skins were very pretty thick and the berries were pretty small so the wines are quite powerful the barbaresco is a very tannic very phenolic vintage but this is part of the deal that was the season low production good quality we still have three years to to see if it was good or not well look i i always have a plan b like uh, making wine for me was a it was goal number one even because uh, i did not hereditate um, a seller you see what i mean so i i was uh, lucky enough that my grandfather born in this farmhouse la berchialla so i was lucky to that i could start somehow to to make wine but again i started from zero in 2005 i established uh, if we want my own uh, my own winery so we had to buy anything from uh, from zero tank pumps hoses tractor um, all the equipments that uh, that you do and that was the the goal number one with alessandra we say okay now la berchiala is is on the wine production is there we're quite happy about uh, where we are now because we like our wines i think and i'm sure that the langa is really changing a lot nowadays what was a forest uh, when I was a kid? So you go with a cross motorbike to get full of mud and enjoy. Go with a BMX, a mountain bike. Now it's a vineyards everywhere. We are becoming not everywhere, but uh, almost everywhere, like a monoculture uh, area. So we are uh, planting uh, wines everywhere because the Langa now sells because there's a lot of attention in the area. Of course, we have Barolo Barbaresco. The Roero area is also showing up with uh, amazing wines. There's a new generation of winemakers that are trying to do different things. But we're all talking about uh, where can we plant a Nebbiolo in order to make a good Nebbiolo that sells. For me, with the Nebbiolo, I'm happy about uh, what I have. Now I'm looking forward, uh, oh, that will be my dream, to do something else. Making wine, but maybe not, uh, of course, not in Biolo, not in Barbaresco, not in Langa, somewhere else. I'd like to to find the adrenaline to do something new again, you know, to put myself uh, again on, I don't know how to say, you know, outside and say, well, let's start again. Let's do something different. I'd like to make a wine with uh, many varieties, not a mono, mono grape wine. Who knows where? Maybe not even all in Italy. Nowadays, you can plant wine really everywhere. In all of Europe, there is a lot of changes. There is a movement, a small movement still, but there is a beginning movement towards starting to use the other grapes. I see more people selling Palaverga now. I see more people selling Grignolino, Anais. 
So there's two points. Like uh, if you want to plant Mornebiolo or you enlarge the area, but Langa is there, Barbaresco has some borders, Barolo also and also Roero, you know. Or you start to plant everywhere, like even north sides, because of the global warming. Now you can plant some Nebbiolo that gets ripe at the end of the year. Or you have to take out some plants and plant a Nebbiolo, like make room for the Nebbiolo. So what happened nowadays, unfortunately, is that people is uh, taking out, like I was the first one because I take out the Grignolino, but uh, that was 3,000 meters, so it's really nothing. But uh, the Dolcetto and the Barbera almost are going to disappear because people is making more money selling Nebbiolo grapes or making uh, Lange Nebbiolo or Barolo or Barbaresco or Roero DOCG. So we are not actually planting new varieties we are probably stopped to planting Nebbiolo everywhere. So people is planting more Pelaverga, more Arnaise, but uh, Arnaise was there, uh, it's called like the, the white Nebbiolo, so it was in the area since ever. People is just uh, going back to those varieties. I think uh, that uh, they try to plant uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Pinot Noir in the, in the area was, uh, has been done by some, some guys. The results were amazing because some cabin in Langa are very good, also the Pinot Noir, etc. But we are so lucky that we have uh, these unique uh, topics for the Nebbiolo. We never become a very a great uh, Cabernet Sauvignon area. But where you can have a good Cabernet, the Nebbiolo maybe is not really very happy. So I think that we have to focus on the Nebbiolo as much as we can. But we also have to plant uh, more varieties that uh, is in our genetic, uh, in, gen- our, in our blood. Like uh, Dolcetto, Barbera, um, as you say, Palaverga, Grignolino, there's uh, many other, uh, but not the international ones. I'm very fond of Dolcetto. And in talking to some Piemont producers, they say that they see a heightened interest in uh, Dolcetto. More and more people buying Dolcetto now. Yeah, you know, you heard these stories about some uh, very famous uh, Barolo producer that until uh, 20, 25 years ago, uh, the goal was uh, you had to buy a few cases of Barolo if you want to have the Dolcetto. So the main one was Dolcetto. Dolcetto is what, uh, again, when Langa was a poor area after the war, Dolcetto is what uh, brought the, the, the wellness in, uh, in Langa because it's a, it's a very good wine. Somehow it's a unique wine, Dolcetto, because of, it's a tannic wine you can have every day. You don't have to wait two, three years before you can drink or release it. And then again, we just take it out in order to make, to plant more Nebbiolo and uh, more Barbera. I'm very happy if people nowadays will start to, to replant it. I've been talking to a very famous Barolo producer that everybody knows. And she told me, look, we have, uh, we make 2000 bottles of Dolcetto. I've been counting the plants and, uh, every, one healthy plants, there are two with the uh, flavescenza. So it's even not that easy to keeping the dolcetto in the area because, uh, again, making wine uh, be a farmer is not, uh, is not a philosophy of life. It's a real life every day, you know. So we have this flavescenza is a, is a disaster for the dolcetto because it's a disease that, uh, you can lo- lose like the five, eight, uh, seven, whatever percent every year. But that means that in uh, 10, 15 or whatever year, you have to replant the whole vineyard again. So it's not easy. And so it's very good if people is uh, encouraging the producer to to make more dolcetto. And if you were to go to another country to make wine, where would you go? Look, I have uh, for me winemaking is very fun, but uh, I also like to <laughs> to do like uh, for example, I, I like to serve. So we spend many times in uh, in the Canary Island in in winter time with my family, and we drink amazing wines there. So for me, I'm not a fascinated anymore in big regions. Like I would never go to make wine in Burgundy, for example. 
I mean, if you just for dreaming, I love places like Tasmania, New Zealand, uh, some places in Australia, some places where uh, something still can be discovered. You see what I mean? You really have the chance to, to experiment. Thank you so much for coming, Oleg Bondonio. Thanks to you. It was a pleasure.